Welcome back to Inside the Musical Mind. My name is Caleb Koo. Today, we've got a very special guest on the show. So far, I've had some great conversations with artists, primarily vocalists, so I decided it was time to feature an amazing session musician, Nathan Schiller. Nathan is not only one of the most talented and fluent guitar players I've ever heard, but he's also a stand-up guy and a great friend. In addition to being a badass guitar slinger live and in the studio with a number of bands, he's also an expert on vintage electric guitars and has helped me source some of my favorite guitars that I use for work every day. We sat down to discuss his path in music, life on the road, and something that's very close to my heart, being a guitar man for hire. All right, and we're here with Nathan Schiller. Hey, How hey. are you doing tonight, man? Good. How are you, man? I'm doing, I'm doing great. I'm so excited to have you on this podcast. I think people knew it was a long time coming, but today is going to be the gear episode. We're going to talk all about guitars. Yeah. I love guitars. Totally. But first, let's start off talking a little bit about you. So. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me out. Um, yeah. So uh, I play guitar. Yeah. That's my thing. Um, I guess I started playing guitar. Man, how, how young was I? I was like, like, it all started because like, when I was a kid, my parents would always listen to music in the car. And um, I remember they used to have a few different records that have like Blue Rodeo was on them all the time. Um, they had like a greatest hits Blue Rodeo record. But the one I really remember was uh, Brothers in Arms by Dire Straits. Oh, yeah. It's a great one. And uh, of course, Money for Nothing, guitar riff. Mark Knopfler, uh, I would hear that guitar riff and I would just, I was like, as a kid, I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to be able to play that guitar riff. Funny enough, I don't think I actually ended up ever learning that guitar riff until like three years ago. <laughs> but, but, you know, at this point, you know, like I'm 27 now and I would have been probably, I think it was seven when I started playing guitar. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I was, really I was young. quite young, but, uh, so I talked to my parents into it. I was like, I, I want an acoustic guitar and as a kid i was like i'll get a job and get a guitar and yeah. then, like at seven yeah and then i didn't get a job to get a guitar <laughs> they just got me a guitar <laughs> but, but at seven i said i said that well, um the dedication that counts man yeah and then and then i became a bum musician who didn't work because i was a musician and i wanted to <laughs> practice but, but anyways um so yeah but so i started playing guitar but the problem was i uh, they got me an acoustic because they had been told that it's better to get a kid an acoustic yep uh, to start, and as somebody who's taught lessons now for a while, that's what I did I'll, when I was in university. I'll get to that, but mm -hmm. um, I don't necessarily b believe that's true. But anyways, that was the choice they made, and that was fine. I got a guitar. It was great. And, uh, you know, when you're seven years old, you're trying to learn guitar. It's difficult, and there were hurdles, and I got frustrated, and I was learning out of these... Um, Hal Leonard books? Was it the... No, it wasn't the Hal Leonard. It was the... Uh, it wasn't Mel Bay. It was the... Oh man, it's an orange book, and I used to—I mean, I would teach out of it sometimes too, depending on the the kids I was teaching. So uh, maybe I, I was a terrible teacher, but um, <laughs> anyways, I was out of these books, and I was learning the, the stuff I was doing. Like I had—I was not excited yep. about it, yeah. and I was like, "This isn't why I, <laughs> I wanted to play no, it's guitar." Like, it's so. like applying the violin method to learning guitar. Yeah, which is like not and, how it's supposed to be. Totally, and and so I didn't really practice. So it's like, yeah, I started playing guitar at seven, but I. And I was in lessons, but I didn't really play guitar very much. Um, and it wasn't until I think I was in grade five and my, my cousin was like, hey, check out this band. They're called Green Day. Okay. And uh, American Idiot had just come out. <laughs> and like, I think he put on Boulevard of Broken Dreams or Holiday or something off of American Idiot. 
And I was like, this is the greatest thing I've ever heard. And like, yeah. you know, at that time I'd already like listened to Zeppelin and Sabbath and I wanted to be able to play Jimmy Page stuff and I wanted to be able to play Black Sabbath stuff and, and of course Mark Knopfler, but uh, you know, I didn't have the technical ability because one, I wasn't practicing and two, I wasn't being taught it. Well, you were a kid still, right? I was yeah. a kid. I was a kid. And exactly. And then, but Green Day happened and it was, it was all power chords. Yep. It was, it was, and as a kid, it was the first thing that I could do. Yeah. And so I, I, my parents, I remember my parents got me the American Idiot tab book, and I brought that to a lesson, and I was like, teach me this. <laughs> and I learned the entire record. Yep. I learned the whole record. And all I did was play my acoustic guitar, play the power chords <laughs> along to all the songs. And uh, and that was it for me at that point. And then it was it, all of a sudden I was playing guitar all the time mm -hmm. because I could play this. And then I got an electric guitar for Christmas or my birthday or something. My parents were like, wow, now he's really into it. Yeah. And he's really doing it. And at this point, this was like two years later because it mm -hmm. took time to get into that. But um, anyways, and then from there, just built like, you know, Billy Talent 2 was out and I got really into Billy Talent. And, and then I found my way back to being like, okay, well, now I can venture into the Zeppelin stuff and Aerosmith and Guns N' Roses. And then I had this huge Guns N' Roses kick and Slash was god and oh, yeah. in high school it was all about slash you know slash was everything and and uh you know then like i got really into this wonderful canadian band called big wreck yep. that i got really into sort of towards the I'm end sure of we'll high talk school about big wreck later oh god yeah and <clears throat> ian thornley is just um a force of nature a living rock god man. he that truly is just... he's he's it's just astonishing i mean we'll, we can touch on that more later but uh, that was you know i i had listened to some I, like I had metal stuff that I liked too, but it was the first time I think I heard some of this, at least to me, because I guess I hadn't ventured out a lot. It was the first time I heard some of this really technical playing um, that was still almost in a rock context, but had, you know, the the technique of somebody like John Petrucci yep. from Dream Theater, but but played in a context that I liked a bit more. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, got, it's like the, the technicality, but with some soul. Right? Totally, not, not that totally. Like, there's soul. elements of 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 Zeppelin and yeah. Dire Straits. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, which you know, so it, it reached me in a way where it was like, well, there's just technical things that I can't do that I want to be able to achieve, but they're in a context of of things that I that first made me pick up the guitar, and so I got really into that, and yeah. and, and then, you know, I I was in bands from. In, in grade school, I'd formed bands in high school. Like, I remember, Back in like grade nine when you first got your lecture, probably? Yeah, well, no, even like, I remember, so there was, I I think it was so funny. In grade seven, at this point, I'd, I'd really playing guitar and I talked, I had, I had a friend whose dad was a drummer. Okay. Uh, so there was a drum kid at his house. Yes. And, I, and I talked him into <laughs> playing drums. Yep. I was like, you're going to play drums in my band. We're going to have a band, and you're going to play drums. We're gonna get and uh, he was like, okay, I'll get my dad to teach me some songs. And, okay. you know, I think we learned a Green Day song. <laughs> I could play Green Day, maybe a Billy Talent song or whatever. And then, and then I, think Z, I think we learned, like, Sharp Dressed Man by ZZ Top. Yep. And um, anyways, but we had – but I was, I was like, we need to play a concert. And, and so we <laughs> talked to our other buddy into playing bass. And so I – I pretty sure I, if i remember this correctly i talked the grade school into holding a talent show because i was like i need a space to have a concert <laughs> so i went to the principal i was like we should have a talent show oh man so I'm that way i can play a concert wow. right and uh, and so they did they held they held the talent show and uh so we went and i think we what did we play i think we played i remember we played falling leaves by billy talent and then i think we played we played boulevard of broken dreams or something <laughs> by green day again like 
I was clearly calling the shots. That's a good persuasion <laughs> skill, man. But anyway, so in grade seven, we had this. We did that, and then, and then I remember there was a fun fair, and I talked them into having our band play the fun <laughs> fair. So they rented a little stage for us. We oh, played the man. fun fair, and then, and then, um, I was heartbroken that band broke up when I was in like grade nine. Yeah. Oh, the heartbreak. Big high school trauma. <laughs> oh, it was, it was so much drama. It was it was horrible. I, they didn't they didn't like the same music I liked anymore. Yeah. imagine that but anyways so you know and then <laughs> and then i uh started a different band with some people in the music program at the high school yeah. and and um and that band was really cool we were called the grumpy monkeys okay and uh we had this my my buddy i totally should have i still have some of the t-shirts we got t-shirts made and my my friend um was a really cool guy who i, I might touch on later because it, it it mattered um he was a my mother was a veterinarian. He was one of her clients, and, mm-hmm. I, and I got to know him through my mother. But he was an artist, and uh, he did a logo for us. It was this monkey smoking a cigar. But uh, the me- reason I, I mentioned him is that he he was also uh, friends with a lot of bands because he was doing art, and and he got to know a lot of I guess rock bands that were you know kind of making it in the maybe late two thousands, whatever. So like Hailstorm and uh, Three Days Grace and um papa roach like those kind of bands he knew them really well and so he would he would bring me out to meet them and Mm -hmm. talk to them and and that was really cool for me to to meet these kind of get your foot in the door yeah and just to meet these humans that were doing it professionally um and and just talk to them and see what it was all about like the uh, what the reality of it Mm -hmm. was and that's how i i kind of got to know that early on like i would you know when i was in high school i was going out and hanging out with some of these bands because of this guy yeah and um and uh, his name is Wes, but he called himself Sketch. And anyways, he's a really <laughs> cool dude. And, um, yeah, that, that's such it, an important thing, though, because especially when you just start, you know, you start playing music and you get really excited and whatever. It's such a big divide looking at what an actual like life playing music actually is. Right. Yeah. Because nobody tells you what that is. Totally. Right? They don't teach you in school. You don't totally. see that anywhere. Right. And, and even at that point, like, you know, I was going into university to go into a music degree. But mm-hmm. like as somebody who went through. And granted, I just went to U of Windsor. Um, I didn't do it like I didn't do anything special, like yeah. Humber or go to Berkeley or whatever. But I was, you know, they they don't. I I feel like at at least in the program I was at, I mean, you know, I, I hate to talk bad about anything, but there wasn't really an emphasis when I was there on what the actual career path is of a performing musician, yeah, whatsoever, absolutely. and. Uh, you know, I, I at least I knew some of it because I knew people who were actual performing musicians professionally, yep. and I had spoken to them before because of these some of these experiences, and especially in contemporary genres, right? Mm. Like outside of classical music yeah. or, go, or go to the jazz. symphony and whatever. No, of course, right? yeah, exactly. Like, what does a what does a career look like in a contemporary genre? And then, you know, I mean, I had spoken to these people that had actually made it in terms of. You know, if you want to call them rock stars or whatever, but mm-hmm. that we're making it on that bigger scale. But um, I think it's a very important thing. And I, I know I'm jumping around to so many different topics right now because I'm just trying to look at my life as a guitar player. And I'm like, oh, what are these various important oh, aspects? Yeah. But yeah, I think that's that's such an important thing. And I think we should touch more on that too later in terms of, you know, if we're going to talk about wisdom, is just knowing what what is a career in music. Absolutely. Like really think yeah. about that for a second and ask yourself, like if you're, if you're looking to do that, what does that actually mean to you? Um, be, I think that's such an important thing because I think that having a career in music has become a very multifaceted uh, thing. 
um, you know, and, and it doesn't just mean being a rock star or just having one gig. You have to have all these different things um, going on and working for you so that you can make a living doing it. And it's mm-hmm. very possible if you have that outlook on it, right? Of yeah. it's you're going to work in the music industry and work with music, but again, what does that mean? It might you have mean to be you're realistic and understand the scope of what it actually means. Right? Yeah, and and I think. It's just having different skill sets. Like maybe you're going to do some teaching and you're going to do some studio work and you're going to do some gigging or in my case, you're going to sell vintage guitars mm-hmm. <laughs> or, or wh- whatever it is. You're going to have various different things working for you and that's fine. Yeah. You know, or maybe you will be a rock star and that's great too. But, but you know, it's okay to just have a whole bunch of different things going for you and, and if you're doing that and you're working with music and you're making a living doing it, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, but anyways, that wasn't imparted on me when I was in university, really, mm-hmm. in a music degree, which is kind of ridiculous. Well, and, and that's the experience I see from a lot because I, I, I also teach a lot, too. Right. And um, I meet a lot of people who uh, who feel like, you know, they're going to these programs. They want to go to music school and they just sign up and they don't really understand the true reality of what it means to be a musician. And nobody tells them, which is just a, I think it's really a disservice. Totally. Right? Totally. I mean, I saw that with people I was in school with. Right. Like my classmates, they didn't get it. They had no idea. Yeah. Um, and that's sad. You know what it is? Absolutely. And as, yeah. as educators, I think that it's your goal, like, or not your goal, it's your duty to to impart that wisdom on people. I mean, that's huge. And it's so tough. It's tough, though, because the, the contemporary music thing is so much different than I think what a lot of these people came up with. So especially if you're not going to a specialized school. But, I mean, even in, you know, like, even in the more special, you know, Humber, UFT Totally. Stuff, it's not the same as... Uh, uh, it, it's so tough to really just define unless you are like one of the people who are actually out there touring and making yeah. a living and doing it. It's really hard to be a professor, I think, without that experience and say, well, this is probably what a career in music looks like. like yeah, I- exactly. And, you know, I, I mean, I tried to make a go of it as everybody does on their in the touring thing. Like so uh, in terms of a bit more context of mm-hmm. what I did. So I think I was in, you know, I was in some various bands in university and I think in like third year university, um, I joined this band and, and again, I'm from Windsor, Ontario and there was yep. this band I was in, in Windsor. Uh, we were called the silence factory and, um, there was, there was another guy who was basically the, the brains behind the project. He was the main writer and everything. Uh, and I was just kind of mostly a live guitar player. I did some studio work with him too, but and I mean, we were, you know, we were still kids we're still in university yeah. and, and, and he was actually a few years younger than myself, but he was just this incredibly talented human. Yeah. Um, really great songwriter, great guitar player, great drummer. Like he, he just he just had all the things. Hell of a front man, just killer, killer. Like he had the persona, just yep. all the things. And he was, he was in grade twelve. He was like he was like oh, wow. eighteen years old, and he was just this talented, talented dude. Some people just have it, man. Yeah, he had the thing. And um, anyways, so this project started, and we had some support from our families and everything behind it and and we were able to throw a little bit of money into it to try to get it off its get it off the ground and uh so we did we were doing some touring we were putting songs out and there's this competition that uh hits fm in niagara used to have and it might still have it. it's called rock search um and it's basically like a glorified battle of the bands but previous winners are are uh I forget what they used to be called, but Finger Eleven before they were called Finger Eleven. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Monster Truck were contestants; they didn't actually win. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, Crownlands, who won the year, well, so we won it, and they Crownlands won the year after us, uh, wow, and they're yeah. doing really well right now. But anyways, we won this Rock Search thing, and uh, at that time, all industry eyes are on you, and and there's a lot of support, and so we were we recorded a few songs with a producer named Gavin Brown, who's 
did like Billy Talent one and two, some okay. some yeah. of the big three days, Grace Records, uh, Thornley Records. Yep. Anyways, big guys. And all this stuff was happening, and we we were touring too, and we did a few cross Canada tours, and you know it was very much the in a small vehicle. Yep. Were you guys um, opening or headlining? No, we we like we, we we were booking them ourselves. Okay. I was doing a lot of the booking. I got you. at the yeah. time. And uh, I would book bars and try to like find local bands. Like I would do research and be like, okay, who's a local band in this scene that, that might have a bit of following? And I and I would I would reach out to them, and be like, hey, we're this band, we want to do a show. Can we like do a show together? Yep. And it worked, right? And then so and some of them were terrible. Like sometimes we'd play a show and it'd be like three people showed oh, up yeah. <laughs> in Saskatoon. It was like great. Well, we didn't make enough money to eat today. Yep. We're in the red. Um, and sometimes it was awesome. It just depended on the show. Moncton was a hoot. Loved Moncton. Moncton oh, the was East a Coast rad is city. pretty good. Oh, the East Coast the East was Coast honestly time, man. the East Coast was awesome. Yeah. Every, like the couple times we went out there it was so great. Um, yeah, the West Coast not actually as much. The East Coast is happening. People There's out there so don't have fun. Yeah, everyone's just having so much fun. They're just so laid back all the yeah, time. Yeah, dude, totally. I had yeah. I, we so had that experience. But anyways, so we did the I did the touring thing a bit. And uh, you know, and then we were opening for some, some bigger bands. Like we had, um, we, were do- we did some opening slots with Big Rec for yeah. like, but mostly it was like we. I think we did one direct support for Big Rec at the Kitabala, in um, up in Muskoka. We like you know we had opened for USS. We did a, a one for Our Lady Peace, and it was okay. like a lot of some of it was just festivals where it would be like, you know, we were like two or three bands before the headliner and yep. there was a couple direct support things mm-hmm. um and that was all going on and, and it was great and it was like wow all this exciting stuff is happening and then it just all fell apart yeah. as it does and again it's fine like that's that's that is what it is and and then um and then i got some session gigs like right now i i play with a band a country band called buck 20 and i'm basically they're just their live live guitar player and i love it it's great i love just being the live guitar player it's you know i'm not the artist mm-hmm. i get to learn my guitar parts and hopefully play them well and then you get to go home <laughs> and then and then i go home and i get to have a whole lot of fun doing it and yeah. it's great and i love that um and then i went back at like i finished my music degree because i had i had basically decided well it's either do the tours with silence factory or do the music degree and yep. like, well i'm gonna go do the tours for sure yeah. uh so i went back uh, you know COVID happened and i was like, okay well i'll do my music degree and now i live in waterloo and i do some session gigs and i mentioned earlier I, I work a vintage guitar shop called folkway music sell really rad cool old vintage guitars Best and place and in the world <laughs> yeah it's it's <laughs> it's a wonderful <laughs> wonderful wonderful place spent many hours um, and it's it, you know it's a dream job and i love it and yeah. uh you know so i'm surrounded by guitars all day long yeah and i get to play them and and still gig and, and it's great you know now being in waterloo i i've only been in waterloo for well i guess it's been it's been a little bit over been like what a year and a half that i've been in waterloo and you know i'm still figuring out the whole scene here it's very different than the windsor scene and of course things are very different because we're coming out of covid and and stuff yeah and the landscape has changed a whole lot and that's really weird for me because i don't even know like coming into a new city at the end of this this whole pandemic thing is is super weird because i think everybody's trying to refigure it out so it's it's almost i think harder in some ways because you know, the, it, it, there's a. It seems like there's not a lot of established venues here anymore, and yeah. like things have died, and 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 maybe there's not as many opportunities. I don't know. Maybe and maybe I'm just lazy and not finding. Well, them. no, it, it's but hit or miss, right? Because there's been a lot of change, right? So there's a lot of the opportunities that used to be here yeah. aren't, aren't around anymore. But also, 
means that there's a lot of new things kind of just surfacing from the rubble. Right. So. Yeah, totally. And it's funny, like, when I think back on what Windsor's scene is or was, I don't even really know what Windsor's scene is anymore because yeah. I, I knew Windsor's scene prior to COVID. Mm-hmm. But like most places, venues have died, which is heartbreaking. Really great venues have died. Windsor used to have, it probably still does, have a really killer original music scene. And there was a lot of venues where you could just go, bars, you could go and see original music, see original bands. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean... I hope that's still a thing, but it's. I think it's less than it used to be. Yeah, no, for sure. The COVID made a massive, massive dent in that kind of thing. Yeah. Right. Sorry, I know I touched on a lot of things, but it's, no, that's that was it's a lot. To, it's a lot to even just think about. Let's talk about what you've seen as the comparison between maybe the KW scene and the Windsor scene. Yeah. So, and and again, I uh, like I was saying, it, it's so hard to I guess compare because of COVID because I'm remembering the Windsor scene as it was prior to 2020. Yes. Sure. And, and you know, I'm comparing KW's scene in 2023 to that. So that could be somewhat meaningless, but coming up in Windsor was kind of cool. And I, and I don't think I realized how special it was. And, and when I started touring, I, I began to realize that Windsor had something kind of special going on in terms of its music scene. There's a lot of original bands there. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was, real venues for him to play so like windsor's downtown which um it's tough like going and visiting windsor's downtown now it seems like it's just getting rougher and it's it's kind of sad to watch yeah but uh there was there's several bars that you could go to and even like right unfortunately right when i was starting to get into the scene some of the places were closing but there was some really killer kind of mid-capacity venues like a few hundred people yep. that would hold shows too and you'd get like um mid-tier touring bands there but then local bands would play them too and there was a lot of opportunities for uh local bands to have opening shows which again i like was just at the tail end of that and kind of missed some of it but there was still there was there's bars which still exist like uh fog lounge is a really cool bar that you could probably get i don't know 75 people in maybe yep but it's it's a really great spot where they have original shows there like every Friday, Saturday night. And even more than that, there's, there's original music there. And, and it's, it's such, that's such a great environment. Cause that's like really where you learn your craft. Like I love playing in, you know, small clubs, just totally. people. Cause that's the totally. most fun. That's where it feels like the music is real, especially, you know, as guitar players, right? And Loud like, amps and just, yeah. And, and coming back to that contemporary music thing, like if you're in a rock band, you have a spot to play. There's another yep. place called villains. Uh, there was a place uh, called the beer exchange, which unfortunately closed, I think during COVID mm-hmm. which, you know, really sad. Um, there used to be a place, I remember with my grandpa and monkey's band, there's a place called Milk that we had played at, and it was this like coffee lounge thing. But again, I remember what we did an EP release <laughs> and we filled it with like a hundred people, and it was like it was so not safe. Yep. Um, but it was awesome. And anyways, so you had these places to play that were, if you're an original band, you had a place to do it, and you didn't just have to do cover gigs to play. And like you're not making money doing those no, gigs. Course, like let's yeah. face it, like you're charging five dollar cover, you're breaking even if you're lucky. Totally, but like, <laughs> but it's fun, you know, and it's it's dirty and it's sweaty and it's rock and roll. And that's, and yeah, man, that's great. That's, that's great. What, like real, like you know, that's you feel like totally. you're in the '60s or something, right? Like you're the Rolling Stones in some clubs, yeah, making your thing, right? And um, I so for Waterloo, like Kitchener Waterloo, I I don't know if that's here now. Like I'm, and maybe maybe I'm ignorant to it, mm-hmm. and I just need to get out more, but. It was so it was I felt like it was very easy to find in Windsor. Like you just yep. walk down in in the strip of downtown and you'd be able to find a, a spot. Yeah. Um and also I think I'm used to Windsor having like one main downtown area where it was like everything that's going on is going on within these few blocks. Yeah. 
whereas KW is kind of spread out. Like there's a f- yeah. yeah, it's it's more of like a big city vibe where there's different sections, and and so you navigate it differently, I suppose. But I don't know. I mean, you tell me. Is there is there a scene that I'm not seeing, or is it? Is it something where it was there were more venues like that 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 died during COVID that I missed out on and I just missed that cool thing or like wh- what is it like I actually yeah. don't know. It's really interesting because it's funny. So I I actually didn't start gigging around locally until after COVID too. Right. So I might not even right, right. be the best authority on this. Right. Because most of my gigs were all jazz gigs in Toronto back when I was playing before COVID. Mm-hmm. And then after COVID, then I started playing a lot more in the local scene and doing the session stuff and whatever. Um, but there seems to be a lot of session gigs. There is a decent amount of yeah, like sideman. Like there's a lot of original music going on too. There's been a pretty big post-COVID boom, uh, especially artists. I think who just kind of discovered their art during COVID, and so you get all these you know these incredible artists who've just kind of figured it out in their bedroom, and now they're trying to bring it to a stage. Um, but the big thing is there was a lot of venues that shut down. Like, yeah, uh, thinking about like off the top of my head, the Boathouse, uh, that was in Victoria Park. That was a great one. Uh, Rhapsody Barrel Bar, that was one in downtown Kitchener, that was a big one. Yeah. They had a lot of jam sessions and a lot of that kind of, like what you're talking about, kind of a club. Yeah. Bar yeah, thing. yeah. Uh, Churchill Arms, that was a... That, Man, you know, I, I went there a few times because when I first came to Waterloo, my significant other was renting a, like a student, she was a student here and then yep. she started working here. She had, part of it, she was like in a student house a block away from the Churchill Arms. Yep. The fries were very freezer burnt. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it it gutted me when they closed. Like, uh, because I remember we played there, I think like two weeks or something before. You had no idea. Like, I mean, it's tough. It's a tough industry. It's a tough business these days. You can kind of tell like things aren't going as great as they could be possibly. Yeah. But just, you know, seeing seeing that sign and they took the sign down, I swear, in like two days. It was so like you're driving by like, oh, guess it's gone. It's it's a new thing now. It's sad. It's sad that so much is closed. But. Oh, it's depressing. We don't need to talk about no, too I many know, depressing things. But yeah, so I mean, it's again, it's tough to compare because I feel like I have a my understanding of what the Windsor scene was mm-hmm. and what KW is. It's just it's almost like two different landscapes, two different worlds. You mm-hmm. know, we're the post-COVID and pre-COVID kind of sure. But it's landscapes. just an interesting observation to see, like, because that's the beautiful thing. Like, so many different little small towns the, in Ontario have the the other thing to mention about Windsor, uh, which I think part of why it has some of that is they. And now it's now it's gone, yep. which is heartbreaking. But they had a radio station that was called eighty nine X, and it was okay. like a local rock station uh, that was like half based out of Detroit, half based out of Windsor. It was kind of weird, but um, and it was awesome. And and they would, you know, sponsor some shows. And 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 I do when I was doing the touring thing. And what we would do is we had songs that were doing well on radio, right? Yep. And and we would go and we would do these like radio visits where we, oh, had, so we cool. would always so whenever we were playing a show in a town that had a, a local rock radio station, we had a radio tracker, and he would set up these meet and greets, <clears throat> basically with us meeting the the radio stations yep. and like the program directors, like an and music directors, or something. Yeah. yeah, we would do that maybe on the, on the show, and then we would also just, it was basically just networking, being like, hey. Yeah. Nice to meet you. Please play our song, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and anyways, but we would go to these different stations, and I really realized at that point that, like, oh, my God, there's, like, four great rock stations in Canada. Yeah. For, for There was for active rock, which mm-hmm. is what they call anything that wasn't. Um, there's alt rock. rock and active <laughs> rock. Well, no, no, no. So, yeah, I guess so. But there's alt. there was alternative and active rock. Okay. And active rock was anything that was like remotely heavy. So we were active rock. And there was like four great active rock stations. Okay. In Canada, Hits FM, which did Rock Search being one, and 89X being another. And, and I didn't realize at the time, not everywhere had this. Yep. 
And uh, I think that had a huge impact on Windsor having some of that music scene that mm-hmm. had lasted. That station is now gone. Unfortunately, I think it's yeah, been bought out and bad. it's now like another pure country station, which, yeah. you know, country's great and all, but it's, it's sad when you lose like a, a kind of, well, it's a big like, community thing like, like a that. hub, right? Yeah, that's like any any kind of organizing organizing body. That Communities can... get created around it, right? Absolutely, yeah. And and that's what had happened. So it's sad to lose it. But anyways, I think that's part of why Windsor had the scene that it had is is there was just a lot of like culture there. I think Windsor really does have, in some ways, its own culture, and and the the local rock radio station was a part of that. Yeah. Uh, and I imagine the American thing too. You yeah. Oh, totally. There, I right? mean, there's there's a huge influence there too, though you know, in in any recent years, crossing the border is a more difficult thing, but yeah, that's that's definitely something that I I really do looking back appreciate about what Windsor had going on was that was that local music scene yeah. and and the local rock radio station and everything and it was like wow it was a really cool thing it was a really really neat thing and it gave you as as you know me coming up playing rock music a place to hone my skills like you were saying yeah you know and so. it, it's such a fascinating thing because I feel like radio has has really just in general just died out so much in the past couple of years. It really has. I mean, of course it's going to. It's it, it, which is sad. Um, but and you know, I still listen to the radio in the car. Yeah. Um, I listen to like the London Rock station and stuff, but <laughs> but uh yeah, it has. I mean, streaming is just such a it it's the force, new right? thing. It's the new thing. That's what people do. You can listen to whatever you want whenever you want. Yeah. Like we're humans. Paradigm. We have we have short attention spans. We want what we want. We want it right now. Yeah, it's a pretty big paradigm shift in the whole kind of industry. It's it's pretty insane if you think about the whole scope of what streaming actually represents. Right? Totally. Yeah. Absolutely. It's it's crazy. It's insane, and I mean, it's it's you know, it's impact on the music industry. Of course, I mean, there's there's much smarter people who are far more educated on the actual numbers of this than than I am, and mm-hmm. I don't want to speak to it too much because. Again, there's there's people who know a lot more than me, but um, yeah, I mean, you think about what it costs to actually make a record the way the way like in a big studio. Yep. Like when I was doing those sil- like the few songs we did with Gavin Brown, I know what it costs to record those songs. Yeah, like a proper live record with live guitars and drums and stuff. Yeah, like when we tracked those songs, we were at Noble Street Studios in Toronto working with a world class rock producer. Yep. In a world class facility, it's not cheap. Nope. And and then you know you put in these songs out that you spent thousands of dollars on for like pennies yeah. for a bunch of streams. You get a bunch of streams and you get pennies. Yeah. It's like it's, wow, it's tough. Yeah. Okay. The tough it, return on investment. For sure. Totally, it's it's pretty wild. Um, when you think again, how much money goes into it and w- how many streams you need to really be able to recoup a lot of those funds. So. I don't know. It's interesting. It's, it it's, is. Absolutely. And it just makes it tougher. I mean, being again, th- and, and this is why, like is speaking to the being multifaceted and going different routes, like you can't just, you can't just rely on, on that to, to pay your bills. If you're an artist, you know, you have to be able to do more than just rely on your streams, unless you're getting a ton of streams and you're doing really well. And I mean, that's, that's great and good for you. I mean, that's awesome. I, I wish everybody could achieve yeah. that. But it's such an incredibly hard thing to do to get enough because yeah. with the way things are, you know, what Spotify pays, what point oh oh one three cents per stream or something, something ridiculous. I don't like I don't know the exact math. And I know that like Buck Buck 20, who I'm a session guitar player with, like I don't know their all, all the exact numbers and all that. And I don't want to go into it. But like, yeah, I think most of the songs that they've done in Nashville, I think they've they've 
yeah, they've done well on that. And yep. it's it's so that and that's great, but it's not like again, you're not making tons and tons of money nope. uh being like a unless you're unless you're a really high level uh artist or drake or something or, or morgan totally. wallen pulling in you know tens of millions of streams yeah okay well yeah and of course those people are making money in, in that case but, but it's yeah. it's tough right yeah even it is tough you even think like uh it's funny because you look at a lot of classic artists like you know like someone like tom petty or something and he only has like five million monthly listeners compared to all these other crazy artists yeah. just because that's not where his listener base is right yeah but it's uh it's disproportionate because actually i see a lot of it's it's an interesting thing because i see a lot of indie artists who have maybe like a hundred thousand, three hundred thousand monthly streams, but they're selling out all these crazy tours across Europe. Yeah. So it doesn't really translate as proportionally well, as a lot of people think. Right? Yeah, I mean, it's funny that you know the music industry used to be you toured so you could sell records, yep. and now you basically your money comes from your touring. Yeah. You know, it, it really flipped around. It's like you make a record so you can tour it. And the funny thing is, you don't make money playing the shows; you make sh- money selling the shirts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and the then, crazy with, thing with, and then venues want. You know, they the venue wants to take whatever it, whatever percentage yeah. of the merch sales. So then, so you have to sell a, sh- a T-shirt for like sixty dollars yeah. to be able to make any margin on it. Like it's it's just it's all it, there's so many things that that make it so difficult. Um, and again, like I'm not. There are people who are way more educated on the actual math of that than I am. So mm-hmm. I don't want to I don't want to misspeak and and. Um, say stuff that's wrong and misrepresent it but yeah it's it's tough it it's, is pretty wild to think about yeah and i saw some of that like when i was when i was in silence factory i just i got like a glimpse into that world mm-hmm. uh and it was like wow okay this is the reality of it eh? like yeah. there's this is this is how hard it really is um wow okay <laughs> it was a real reality check it was a huge reality a lot check. of people don't get that right and even even music school kids don't don't see that reality of like what yeah being a musician really is right well, speaking speaking of your days on the road, can you? What's like the craziest thing that happened to you? Oh, man, the craziest thing that happened. Oh, okay. We're gonna. I'm gonna tell this story. Okay. And I hope it doesn't offend anybody. <laughs> but this was awesome. So we were playing a show in in, in Ottawa, and um, again, I'm from Windsor. Like we don't have these things there. We found a Church of Scientology. Okay. <laughs> and I was, and me and and the front man of the band were like we've got to go in like we're going to go meet Tom Cruise, you know? (laughs) And, um, so we went in and, um, I think we started like a Facebook live video and we're like, we're going to go see what it's about. Yeah. And I remember there was just this, there was like, um, whoever the, like the, the guy who, the in charge of Scientology, the guy's founder, they just had like a a audio thing on loop of him preaching. Yeah. And there was just this staircase that led up to this gray door. And we were like, we walked up and and then all of a sudden the drummer came in. We were like a block away from the venue. And the whole, the whole reason this started was because the singer frontman guy, um, he needed to pee and we were locked out of the venue. (laughs) (laughs) So, so we were trying to find a a spot to find him a washroom. And we were like, they've got to have a bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) They've got to have a bathroom. And so we, um, anyways, we we like we're we're like we walked up to this door, this gray door with no markings on it. We're like, do we open it? And then the drummer runs in, and he's like, guys, the venue's open. We gotta load in. And we're like, well, we've made it this far. Our our hands are already at the doorknob. <laughs> we gotta walk gotta in. Go and in. then so we walked in, and and there was a room of people, and a guy was uh, like preaching or whatever, and and they like. 
they they came and they grabbed us and they were like, "You have to, yes, welcome, <laughs> like yes, oh come and gosh. sit down." And then and again, like he, like I think the 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 other so the the other front man is the also, name is also Nathan's so yeah okay. two Nathan's and um, he had like trying to hide his phone from yeah. the film and like <laughs> doing Facebook Live in the Church of Scientology and he was just like, "Do you have a washer?" <laughs> <laughs> and so they brought him to the back and then i'm like and they're like well you can sit you can you can stay with us and i'm like oh no this is how it happened you're just standing there like is he ever gonna come back no well i was like i was like i don't think i'm playing a gig tonight like this is it <laughs> like i'm i'm gonna i'm becoming a religious fanatic this is oh, it man. like i'm joining the tr- like they've they've got me and uh yeah it was it was wild it was it was a pretty crazy thing and I'm surprised that they like let uh, I don't know I, I was anyways <laughs> it was it was it was wild I don't want to go that's, into all dude, of, too much of it but like it was pretty crazy man that is the beautiful thing about like being a musician on the road and then we just got out of there like he came out from the bathroom and you like, end up ran. in the weirdest places like the weirdest times of day it's like four o'clock and you're just like standing in like Montreal or something okay. I've been walking a building and do something. Yeah, <laughs> so why not? Like two hours to why go. not go go listen to a sermon in the Church of Scientology and see see what that's all about? It was it was wild, man. It was crazy. But anyways, uh, oh, like man. what else? I'm trying to think of this. I don't know. I mean, there was it's all kinds of dumb stuff. But the, the reality of it is, like, is some of it was kind of boring. It was like, okay, well, <laughs> it's like you, you know, you play your show, and then the majority of it's like, well. You know, I've got like ten thousand dollars worth of guitars with me. I don't want to leave them. Yeah, that's true. So I'm just gonna kind of carry around my guitars and like not get them stolen. <laughs> Especially like you play a lot of these shows, and you mentioned Montreal or Vancouver or some of these places that are notorious for bands having all their gear stolen. You're mm-hmm. like, I'm. I don't want to go do anything fun because I don't want to get my freaking guitar. I don't want to be the stolen. guy on the Instagram stories. I don't. Yeah, being like our trailer got yeah broken into or, so it was really a lot of like. And there was there was sketchy times like we were we had you know our trailer and we would always have somebody standing obviously with the trailer and one guy carrying gear and one guy staying with the gear in yep. the venue and maybe or two guys carrying gear whatever and uh, there was definitely times where you'd be in the trailer and people would, like walk in and start looking into the trailer and like you'd be in there and you'd be like get the f out yeah and they're like oh well we don't mean anything and it's like then okay well why are you looking in my trailer yeah it's just like yeah, I know don't and, t- yeah like it's tough especially like, when you're in a downtown and it's just you. All around you, just yeah. the potential danger of people and, mugging you and, and stealing your so stuff. And honestly, for for us, like as you know, four dudes driving around with a trailer full of our expensive gear yeah. that we need is for our our whole thing, our livelihood. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Honestly, sometimes it was just stressful. Yeah. You know, and you can't load all that gear into like a hotel room or into your friends. No you know apartment that you're crashing at and then you get in late after the venue at like one or two in the morning or something totally i'm not going to open up the trailer and lug in the marshal and the the double bag and whatever no and like like, yeah i mean there was sure there was some nights where like fun stuff happened that's like maybe not appropriate for a podcast (laughs) but like because you know it's tour and once in a while you have fun but like for the most part that was the reality of it it was like okay well unless we had very safe accommodations that were nearby and we were somehow able to bring gear in you know, and then it was just a lot of driving. <laughs> That's yeah. Canada. Touring in Canada is a ton of driving. It's like, great, <laughs> great. I've played in Toronto. Now I'm going to play in Thunder Bay. Yep. Yeah. I feel like once like, you, like, like, you get, get past Kingston and then are you, so no, you either do the 401, you go like Kingston, Ottawa, Montreal, you go it that way. Yep. Or you go like in Windsor, we would, we would drive through the States and we would hit, um, 
like Sault Ste. Marie, Thunder Bay, Winnipeg, and it's like eight hour drive, eight hour drive, eight hour drive, yeah. Edmonton, eight hour drive, uh, <laughs> out west, eight another, eight, and it's just like so much driving, and, and like. Well, it's just like you drive, you play guitar. You drive, you play guitar. Yep. You drive, you play guitar. Going out west, anyways, that's what it's very much like. Oh man! And it's it's you know that's and that's the reality of touring Canada. It's just because it's not as densely populated to get to these places where it's actually worthwhile playing a show. Um, spent a lot of time on the road. Yeah. A lot of time. A lot of time driving. A lot of time to think. <laughs> um, and th- I, like, I think that's one thing that like is really important to emphasize here is that. Because so many people don't have this background of what it's actually like to be a musician. Yeah. Right? Like, you know, you'll go to a show, you go see a band or whatever, but you don't see what happens like the other 98% of their day. Yeah. Right? That's like, it's so funny because everyone's like, whoa, you're on your tour, you're playing guitar, it's so badass. It's like, that's like, like two hours, it's like an hour and a half of my day at most, right? The yeah. rest of it is doing all this totally other menial, like, and whatever. And like, we did, I remember we, stuff. Did, we did a one off show in Montreal, and I, I remember from Windsor, I, like, we got up at, 6 a.m. left at like 7. Yep. I drove us to Montreal and then I drove us back. <laughs> so I drove for for 10 hours. Yep. Sat at the venue for a couple hours, played my 45 minute or an hour set. Yep. Waited for you know, waited around for everything to be, get done, loaded up the car again and drove back and you know, that was like a 30 hour day. And an hour of it was playing guitar, yeah, it's <laughs> and true. the rest of it was. I mean, I shouldn't have drove the whole way. I almost killed us on the way yep. back because I was not. I was like falling asleep, and somebody else in the band should have freaking drove. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean that. That's the reality. Like, you're not making enough money to pay someone to no, drive you. You're driving yourself, and you're tired. And then half the time you get there, and you're like, I just want to go to bed. I don't want to play a show. <laughs> It, dude, it's so funny because I did the exact same thing for a Montreal gig. I remember we stayed over the night. So I drove there and we stayed the night. But then I remember I played the gig and I had an exam in Waterloo the yeah. day after. And I literally played the gig. We got out at like, you know, 12 o'clock. I played for like, it was like a 20-minute opener set. We were the opener. Yeah. I drove to Montreal, slept over the night, played for 20 minutes. And then I had to drive like eight hours straight back to Waterloo and write an exam at 8 in the morning the day yeah. after. Yeah, man. Right? And it's like people it's really exhausting. Don't, they don't see it, right? No. It, I mean, sometimes it's obviously... I mean, we do this because we love it. So obviously, there's there's a lot of great parts. Of course, yeah. Like goes without saying, music is awesome. Playing guitar is awesome. Playing whatever instrument that you are passionate about is awesome. Being a musician is great, and there's so many great parts. You just gotta be aware that like, there's it's work. Yeah, totally. And it's so much more just like becomes just like a normal job than most people realize. Totally. There's so much of it that's not just like, oh yeah, badass, I'm you know, cutting records all day, I'm doing whatever. And that stuff's there and it exists and that's what makes it worth doing. And that's really what the, that's what the work is, but you realize that the work itself, it's like you don't get paid to play the gig, you get paid to drive to the gig and carry all your shit to the gig and then yeah. you get right? So it's totally. it's funny when you break it down like that, right? 100%. We've had a, a great conversation so far about all the kind of realities of being a musician, your path in music, you know a lot of a lot of guitar stuff <laughs> yeah sorry if like i've you know thinking i guess i just don't i don't go thinking about my whole path and thinking about all this stuff that often so if yeah. i do it i'm like oh my god this is so much to it all kind of comes out right dive into like like, holy, yeah i know it really is <laughs> it really is it's like guitar therapy um and it, it's just a lot to dive into so i'm like oh my god how do i even make these thoughts uh semi-coherent yeah um anyways yeah i mean you know you want to talk about wisdom and, yeah, and things that yeah let's, things let's that, I've, that i've taken away 
I guess from my path and like yeah so like if you were to maybe like look at yourself uh in high school just kind of starting on this journey kind of starting to play gigs and yeah. clubs and stuff what would be the biggest piece of advice you now could give yourself back then uh a couple things i think in in and they apply to different facets of of this and some of it a lot of it's like stuff i've already touched on but you know i guess not just not tempering expectations so much but just being understanding again what what is a career in music i yep. think that's the biggest thing that you have to ask yourself um if you've decided hey i'm going to try to make a career in music what does that mean to you uh so my thing now is i i work again i've said at this store called folkway music yep um i sell i i work as a sales guy selling vintage guitars and you know one of my other loves is history and and i always as a kid thought that like i'd either be a musician or an archaeologist yeah and, and basically I'd, you got it into I'm, a beautiful intersection yeah program, exactly right? so i you know i do all this historical guitar stuff yep. and authenticating these cool vintage electric guitars and and that's great and and i found a way to be passionate about you know a job i have I, i'm so lucky to be somebody who, ha who has a job that's a nine to five that i'm truly passionate about in music yeah absolutely in music and and because of it i get to meet all these cool musicians mm -hmm. And uh, I'm constantly surrounded by guitars and playing them and 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 just meeting other people, one in the local scene, two in the, on a broader sense, just other musicians. Well, some pretty who are, renowned musicians. Like yeah. You guys did a deal with Julian Lodge, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, Very and, recently, and that's remarkable. And, and the, reali the reality is about most notable guitar players is they're also just gear dorks. Yeah. So, you know, I chat with all kinds of cool people that are, are successful musicians, uh just because we're we're just a bunch of nerds um and that's great and and you know and then still i have people that i gig with yep. and and that's great and i think like i'm very happy with what i'm doing right now and you know high school me might have thought i need to be a rock star or bust and i and you know that's a very I, again I think that's just maybe I don't want to say it's immature but no, it's it just is, like it's right? some some it's so it's somewhat kid, it's immature the it's the yeah kid dream with no reality yeah right? no totally reality but I so I think if I could go back to like childhood or at least adolescent Nathan yep I'd be like hey you know you don't need to be a rock star to have a career that's involved with music and some people do it like you know for some people it's like oh well that's not maybe that's that's still a sort of a career in sales it's not really yeah. a career in music and that's fine sure like you can still you don't have to just have like a 9 to 5 job you can still do it all music like when i was in university when i did my last year i was teaching a bunch of guitar yep. and and gigging and and that's a way to do it too you know a, a lot of the musicians i work with are people that teach too like mm -hmm. i the drummer in buck 20 who's uh you know, he's a professional musician. He he helps run a lesson studio, and that's his, like, day job. And then he gigs a ton. Yeah. And he's a professional musician. Absolutely. That's being a professional yeah. musician. And he's he's making it. He's making a living being a musician, and that's an incredibly commendable and, thing. And teaching is, is uh, for me personally, I really enjoy teaching. Yeah, actually. I love teaching. A lot of people, uh, you know, I think they, they look down on teaching almost as like, oh, I just, you know, no. make it so you teach. I love spreading the knowledge because I spend all my time – trying to figure out this thing man trying to it was music, right totally and i think as even as a musician it helps you grow like you go you're like okay this 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 kid that i'm teaching they have all these strings ringing out yeah 
Why are my strings not ringing out? Yeah. How am I actually muting the strings on my guitar? Like, I don't even think about it. I just do it. You know, you you do all these little things that become subconscious. And then you, I found that when I was teaching, I was, I really started to dissect how I played guitar. And I had to figure out, oh my God, like, I don't even know how I'm muting all these strings. I need to figure that out so I can teach somebody how I'm doing it. (laughs) And, uh, and that was really cool because it made me aware of things that I was doing and really made me think about how I was playing my guitar. Yeah. Um, and that made me aware of things that I wasn't doing that I could be better at. And so I think you improve as a musician by teaching. I think teaching is a valuable thing. I should teach more again. Yeah, it's, um, it's great. I love I love teaching. And honestly, like even financially, it's way better than a lot of people think too. Totally. It's a great, it's, it's a pretty there, decent It's living. nothing to look down upon. That And again, if you're teaching and you're gigging or even if you're just teaching music, you're a professional musician. Absolutely. You are a musician making money in the music industry. That's being a professional musician. Mm-hmm. And then it's just asking yourself where in in the music industry you're you're willing to be like where you think you can be happy. And you know, that's great. I mean, if listen, if you can make a living doing something that makes you happy, you're winning. Absolutely, right? So it's, I think the world that's, is such, such a crazy place that if you can find something that you can do every day and make a living totally. and be happy, that's just an incredible thing. That's a big thing I would say. The other thing I would say, no, well, another thing, not the other, but another yeah. thing is that your ear is everything. Oh, totally, man. That's a great Your ear is everything. I, like, I went down this path of, like, huge music theory thing and, like, which is great. I mean, I also don't think the people that are like, oh, don't learn music theory because it might diminish something. Like, no, that's stupid. That's not the right perspective. That is wrong. Yeah. And and you should be able to... Like, music theory is valuable. You're putting names to things, and it helps you just speak the language better. Like, when you're talking with other musicians on so many gigs, especially if you're doing session stuff or whatever, you need to be like... You need to be able to identify chord progressions yep. and speak about them in an educated manner. Because, you know, if we're doing on a gig together and I'm like... Oh, like it's a one six four five progression, yep. or it, you know, or that way you can transpose something. But you know, your, you know, your core progressions. Like you don't need to know in depth. Like you don't need. You, know, you don't need to be a Neapolitan chord. You don't need to be able to play bebop yeah. to have a career playing music. That's really cool if you're a good bebop player. Yeah, amazing <laughs> for you, Caleb. Keep it going. I can't do it, but you need to have a basic understanding of music theory to be able to communicate. So that's important. But I was at a point where I got so hung up on the theory that I I, I didn't just let my ear guide me. And, yeah. and what I've realized now, you know, as a guitar player, you get caught up in your shapes and your scales and all those things. Mm-hmm. And the biggest thing, like if I'm, if I'm soloing now, I mean, sure, I have my runs that I do that are based around shapes and scales. And they are. I mean, they're guitar player-y things. Yeah. They're the things that we all learn. play guitar. Yeah, that's and, and thing, I have right? my pentatonic or like I'll run like... You know, if we're going to use a theoretical term, yep. um, you know, like I, I have some modes that I'll that I'll run. Like, like I have a lot of Dorian mode. There's your technical term. Yep. I run Dorian mode things because I like having the the major sixth over chords if it fits, and in like in a minor pentatonic context. Yep. And I'll run. I'll do those again. Guitar player runs. They're shapes. Yep. Fun. But the majority of playing guitar solo for me is like. Is the next note a half step up or a whole step? Mm-hmm. Is it a half step or a whole step? Or do I want to maybe jump up a little bit and I maybe I'll jump a third or a fourth? But like, I can hear where's the next note that I need to go to. Like if I'm if I'm playing a line, you should be able to hear where's the next note that you're where are you resolving to or where are you maybe you run a chromatic. But like, you need to be able to hear in your head 
where the next thing is. And that takes a lot of time to get there, but it's, it's where it stops. I think that's, that's the gap that, that people sometimes miss where it sounds like I'm playing shapes and it sounds like, it sounds like math versus it sounds like music Totally, is that you should just be able to, again, hear the next note. What's, what's the interval I need to play? Yeah. Do I want to, I mean, you don't have to just play the next interval in the scale. It doesn't just have to be a half step or a whole step, but you should be able to know what the next note in re- in the scale that you're playing is without looking at your fingerboard or whatever instrument. You know, again, I, I speak a, a, like a, I speak about it like a guitar player because sure, I'm thinking yeah. of it as a fingerboard. But you know, if you're uh, a pianist, you you would you would know. Am I am I playing a whole step up or is it a half step or whatever it is? Um, and that's all your ear. That's so important, yeah. Because like whenever I'm teaching students improv, because that's one of my favorite things. I love teaching like everybody how to improvise. Like I've yeah. got like five year old kids who I'm teaching the minor pentatonic scale, and they're just like running up and down over a blues, and it's so fun. Um, but the biggest thing I, w- I always say is you can't play it if you can't hear it, right? All these great players totally. who play these incredible, you know, articulate, complex, you know, like runs that break harmony, right? They do all these ridiculous things. They can hear that in their head. They can see a chord. Yeah. And they can picture how that all those notes fit against that chord. You, and you can't just play random things no. and make it musical. No, exactly. It. Yeah, you have to be able to hear uh, Yeah, that's that's just it. You have to be able to hear it before you can play it. So that's the biggest thing is ear training is everything. Using your ear is everything. And I guess past that, I would just say, like, be open. Yeah. Be willing to, to take influences that you didn't. You know, and I don't do enough of that. This is I'm saying this to myself now, <laughs> reminding myself of this. Like, listen to more things. Yeah. Don't just get stuck in your box, um, and, you know, be open to to liking new things too, um, and just taking different influences. And I don't know, just yeah, not making up your mind about different things in music. You just have to be open to learning all times there's it is a music is a language that you can never learn at all you just you can't there you could spend 10 lifetimes doing the music thing and and you'd still have so much to learn just scratch the surface right totally um so you're constantly learning yeah and you know it's hard you you're for me, even though yeah, I'm like, oh yeah, well, like I, I sort of work in a in a music context, nine to five. Like you know, life is busy. I work a nine to five, and I come home and I have stuff to do. Uh, you know, there's life stuff, and, yeah, and, and sure. sometimes it's hard to find time to practice, or or you don't want to because you're tired and you've been around. You know, I've been around guitars all day, and I'm like, okay. oh, I just need to sit and not do guitar things. But like, you just gotta remind yourself that like that you still have a lot to learn, and you gotta try to cut out that time to to keep on growing as a music musician because I, th- I just think it's so important to, to keep on growing because you always will if you put that time in you will never stop growing yeah. um and that's so important and i think you hit a really beautiful thing there it's like you can uh, i can have a long a long day working playing guitar all day and being like get home and feel so tired and beat then i'll look at my guitar and like ah oh, i don't want to no i don't want to do it and then i pick it up and then it'll be four hours later and i think you just need to pick it up I think it's honestly as it. As soon as you pick it I up. I think it's easy to, to say, like, oh, I don't want to do it. And then if you really love it, you'll pick it up and you'll go, oh, yeah, this is fun. Yeah. <laughs> but you just have to – but you also have to – and quick, I don't know how much time left, but I'll just say quickly. I think it's easy when you're playing an instrument and you're doing it professionally to 
to pick it up and automatically be trying to work. Yes. Yeah. I think you need to remember how to just noodle and have some fun to yeah. when you're doing it in that context. If you're playing a lot as in a professional setting, you need to be able to sometimes just pick up your instrument and be like, I'm doing this for fun. Yeah. I'm doing this to remind myself why I love playing my instrument. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to sit here and enjoy this. Yeah. And if you do that, I think that'll add it's this valuable thing for your life and it'll keep you excited about playing your playing whatever instrument you play. And it goes back. Sometimes you just got to strum those Green Day power chords, man. Sometimes you, you just, just got to play American Idiot. Sometimes you just got to play American Idiot. Man, I played Holiday the other day and I was like, oh, this is so much oh, fun. I know, dude. I know. <laughs> I had this, I had this 345 and I put the veritone to the last setting and yeah. it sounds like the beginning of American Idiot where it sounds like an old transistor radio kind yeah. of thing. And I was like, oh, yeah, there you go. American Idiot. Great. You know, and you go find your, your roots and you laugh you about it. Why, we, why we do it. And right? you feel like you're 14 again or yeah. 12 again. And you're just like, yeah, that's great. Oh, man. Well, Nathan. Thank you so Dude, much, man. Thanks so much for having me. An incredible time talking about just everything music, man. And I think this is such a great insight that so many normal people don't get to see. Yeah. You don't see this side of music, I, I, right? Yeah. I, I'm glad that I got to see it. And um, I think those just understanding the reality is important. And then going, I can still do it. Yeah. I think it's important to remind yourself. It's very doable. You just need to know what the realities of it are. Mm-hmm. And then knowing those realities, you go into it edu- with it, like, I guess you have, you're educated going into it. Yep. You know how to achieve it and you do it. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, man. Thanks, dude. It's been a pleasure having you on. Yeah, man. Till next time. Thank you so much for listening. It was really great chatting with Nathan about what a life in music looks like. As you could probably hear, we just scratched the surface. So you'll probably see more of him in the future talking about all things guitar and music. Once again, I've been Caleb Koo, and this was a journey inside the musical mind.